Hey, I am Todd Hunter. It is great to be with you today wherever you are in America. Maybe you're watching in the morning. Maybe you guys meet in the afternoon. Maybe you meet in the evening. Uh, wherever you are, whatever time it is, it's really great for me to be with you today on Pentecost Sunday. As I was thinking about our time together today, it made me think of the Pentecost Sundays that we enjoyed at the church that I started in Costa Mesa, California, a Holy Trinity Anglican Church. And I was just reviewing all my notes from 10 years of doing Pentecost there and remembering how when the message was over, we would all stand together and around the church, pray for each other to receive a fresh touch or a fresh infilling, whatever language you might use of the Holy Spirit. And those are really great memories. We can't do that today, obviously. I can't like reach out and touch you and we can't reach out and touch each other, but uh, but I hope this morning that as we do some work here together about the person and work of the Spirit, that you will indeed experience something fresh from Him. So we tend to think of the filling of the Holy Spirit as kind of like a supercharged Christianity. You know, something that we might say that dry Christians need, or I don't know if anybody even uses the term lukewarm anymore, but uh, lukewarm Christians need. But if we just look at the story in Acts... There's nothing wrong with the disciples before Pentecost. They're praying and worshiping and joyful followers of the risen and ascended Jesus. They're not in some sort of bad state. They were just simply told to wait until they had received the promise of the Father before they went out and started their ministry. So they're just simply awaiting further instructions and then the power to carry out those instructions. So when we think of the sending of the Spirit, the, the person and work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that creates and animates the church that Jesus called, picture him calling people to himself, and the church that he saved. And there's no other source for this animation or this creating of the church except for the Spirit. But I've been around the block long enough to know that lots of pre-judgments exist about the Spirit. Most people have a fear of excess. There's this sort of um, uh, fear of like Pentecostal excess. And I don't mean that to be unkind to Pentecostals. I am very fond of Pentecostals. Or excess that comes from charismatic churches or something. And again, I am not at all upset with charismatic churches. And I get that. I get that people can be afraid of these sort of iconic or you know, stereotypical um, mindsets of excess that we might have. And I really get how reasonable people read Acts 2 and wonder, what the heck does that mean? Uh, like, what does it have to do to us today in this world of Bluetooth and, and being with each other all over America through an iPhone? Like, what is cloven tongues of fire and sound of mighty rushing wind? Like, what's, like, what does that have to do with anything? I get how reasonable people cannot connect the dots from that to today. Or maybe they read the gift lists that Paul lists in Ephesians and Romans and 1 Corinthians and just wonder, I, I don't know. I don't see those gifts in operation. I don't know exactly what they mean. It, you know, sort of, again, that's for maybe really super spiritual Christians or something. I really get all that. But even if you grant that, we're still left with like our passage today in the gospel reading and what's known as the whole upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, but especially John 14 and 15 and 16, when Jesus talks a great deal about the Holy Spirit, you just have to ask yourself, the Jesus that you say you love, and that I would assume you say is smart, it's Jesus who said things like, it's better if I go away, because if I go away, the Spirit will come. 
or when the Spirit comes, He'll lead you in all truth. So you just, to get over your fear of excess, I think, you have to make your way to the Spirit through Jesus. Don't try to make your way to the person and work of the Spirit through denominations or aspects of Christianity. You'll likely never make it. But if you can just come to think that Jesus knew what he was talking about and that the Spirit was central to the age of the church, then maybe we can get somewhere. So you might not have clarity on when someone is filled with the Spirit, right? Lots of controversy about that. Is it conversion or second work of the Spirit, that kind of language? You may not be certain about how the Spirit comes. Like, you know, well, Pentecostals say you have to speak in tongues. That's the, you know, that's the, uh, that's the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit. You might not be clear about any of that, and you don't have to be. But I think we all should have clarity about this. Is my life inspired by the Holy Spirit? That has nothing to do with denominations or aspects of Christianity. But just to ask ourselves, with all gentle but spiritual honesty, is my life inspired by the Spirit as was promised by the Father and was taught by Jesus? So again, let me just underscore, when we're thinking about the Spirit, we're not talking about picking a denomination. And we're not talking about picking a flavor of Christianity. We're talking about God Almighty, the third person of the Holy Trinity. And when we relegate him to something that feels like a religious consumer choice, that maybe goes like this. Well, I'm really Presbyterian, but I suppose I want a little bit of charismaticness in my life. Or, you know, I'm really Lutheran, but I suppose I want a little bit of the Spirit. I just hope you can see that that is like rude in the extreme. You're talking about the third person of the Trinity. You're talking about Almighty God, God the Holy Spirit. And you don't say to him, well, I'll just take a little bit of you because really I don't get you and I don't think I really trust you. We have to move on from that somehow. So I think the overall truth to be considered on Pentecost is this, that the purposes of God in a fully orbed discipleship to Jesus requires a power that matches that intention. Let me say that again. The big idea is that the purposes of God in and through the church, this sort of full orb discipleship to Jesus, that intention requires a power that matches that intention. Jesus is picturing something like that when he says that out of his followers would come gushing torrents of living water, you know, that would bring life to the friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and schoolmates around them. And then it says in John 7, Jesus said this in regard to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So think of the good you want to do in the world. How would you like it if out of your inner core being was daily gushing these rivers of living water that brought life to others? Well, again, it's Jesus himself who's saying, that happens through the Spirit. Or what about Luke 24, 49? This is a major hinge point in the biblical narrative where Jesus says to his first followers, wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, why did he tell them to wait? What were they lacking? What, what was the one thing that they were supposed to get? They were supposed to get what the, promise, what the Father had promised the infilling, the baptism, the reception of the Holy Spirit, and that that would change everything. 
in the same way uh, electricity changed everything, right? I mean, none of us can even imagine before electricity. Um, but my friend Dallas Willard used to love to tell stories of growing up in very rural southern Missouri uh, before they had electricity. When electricity finally came out to their little town, he would tell stories about how women you know, quit beating rugs and you know, got a hoover. And it just literally changed everything. It literally allowed day to come into the night where you could plug in a lamp and you could have daytime in your living room instead of the night. That kind of thing is what Jesus is imagining here is that at the reception of the Spirit, something would happen that would change everything. Eugene Peterson, not known as a, you know, sort of a crazy charismatic, said that the Holy Spirit forms the church to be a colony of heaven on earth. A people who are a witness to the already inaugurated kingdom of God. That is to say that as the church lives in this animated relationship with the person and work of the Spirit, we're then given the power to point to or witness to the life of the kingdom that's around us all the time. Eugene says that the Holy Spirit forms the Jesus life in us. So that Eugene says, this is beautiful to me, Acts is not just true, but Acts is livable. So that Pentecost is meant to be seen as the moment when the personal presence of Jesus with the disciples, just picture that with me for a second, the personal presence of Jesus with the disciples. At Pentecost, that presence is translated into the personal power of Jesus in the disciples. That's the big move of Pentecost. So that Pentecost then signals the mode or the means in which by God is putting his power and authority into operation in this unveiling of the kingdom in his people as this new world is being born through them. And that's why we have these descriptions in the book of Acts. I think it helps us imagine what this would be like in our reading in Acts 2. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 says the Holy Spirit was given by God to those who obey him. So think here not, well, I'm morally good enough to receive the Spirit. Think of something more like alignment. Those who really want the Jesus life birthed in them so that they can continue in this Jesus kingdom movement, those who have their, that imagination about themselves, that I want to be the kind of person who my life is aligned to the purposes of Jesus and his kingdom in me, is to those sorts of people that the Spirit comes alive in them. Or Acts 13 says, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And of course, you probably remember these Pauline things where um, Paul says to the Ephesians, be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or in 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire the greatest gifts. Or Paul said, I wish all of you could prophesy. Well, again, it would be, I think, totally wrong to think of Paul as some sort of modern charismatic or Pentecostal stereotype with which we might want to reject. But, think, but just think of the Apostle Paul, the, you know, the, the writer of all these uh, letters and documents in the New Testament. Why would he want people to prophesy? Prophesy just simply means seeing things from God's angle. So just hear Paul saying, I wish through the Spirit all of you could just see things the way God sees it. And sometimes that's foretelling the future. Sometimes it's just foretelling what's real. But that's what Paul's getting at. He's not trying to be a charismatic. He's trying to help the church see themselves as being armed and equipped by the Spirit to do what the Spirit wants to do in and through the church. So lastly, let's take a minute and look at our reading in John 20. I think this shows us how to get in on the story of the person and work of the Spirit. 
let's just take this uh, kind of a phrase at a time. First, Jesus says, even as the Father sent me, so I send you. And that word there for sent is, the, is a Greek term from which we get the English word apostle. So picture yourself here, Jesus saying to you, in the same way that the Father sent me, so I'm now commissioning you, like I'm making you an apostle, not an apostle like Paul. I'm making you a sent one, that you yourself are custom made. I mean, what do you do? Are you a grandma? Do you teach third grade uh, reading? Are you an architect? What do you do? And picture that life, the life that you presently know, as one that's commissioned. And that you are custom made and appointed and authorized and assigned to be a part of this great Jesus kingdom movement. So Jesus says, in the same manner in which the Father sent me, in that manner I'm sending you. And then next it says, Jesus took a deep breath. He breathed in and then he breathed out into them. The Greek, the Greek text actually says he, he breathed into them. And the picture we're meant to get is that as Jesus exhaled onto his first friends, he inflated their life. Like, like think of blowing up a balloon. That Jesus breathed into them his very own life, his very own spirit, saying to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I just, I want to draw you to just a moment here of of some clear intellectual honesty. He did not say receive an aspect of late modern, late 20th century Christianity. He did not say receive a denomination. He did not say receive a movement. He said receive a person. He didn't even say receive gifts and power and authority and fruit, the kind of things that we can say about the Spirit. The accent here is receive this person because it's this person who is the animating aspect of a human life. It's the person who brings the power, the capacity, the ability to live in this Jesus movement the way we might think of, we might think of callings, of specific callings, or Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, or as I said, any of the lists that Paul gives us of the gifts of the Spirit. It's the person who brings this. And this is why I want to say to you, I don't think it's enough to just say, well, I'm open to the Spirit. Again, that's a little bit rude. Like, how do you say to God Almighty, the third person of the Holy Trinity, well, I'm sort of open to you, as if we think he should be pleased with our open-mindedness. Because you see, that sense of I'm open is against the backdrop of what you perceive to be excesses. Once you see that Pentecost is meant to facilitate the spirit of Jesus in the church, it's a completely different thing. And so we're not just open to it, but with confidence we welcome this person. We embrace the person and work of the spirit. We embrace his life and his leadership. In fact, when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, it's the exact same Greek grammar that you have when Jesus takes bread, breaks it, and says to them, take and eat. It's the exact same construct where Jesus says here, take. And it means to like receive it. Uh, most of you would come to Eucharist week in and week out with your palms something like this, where you're actively receiving the, the host that's being offered to you or actively receiving the chalice. Well, the same sort of thing is in view here that you were being invited here to actively lay hold of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
One Greek dictionary I read said, it means to accept him with initiative. And that this word take emphasizes the will or the assertiveness of the receiver. So in the same way that we welcome the host, is there a way that you can welcome the spirit? I think this is the reason Jesus puts so much emphasis in the New Testament on faith. Nowhere do we hear Jesus saying, oh, blessed are you, you are healed because of your honest skepticism. Or blessed are you, for the kingdom is revealed to you because of your honest cynicism. No, what Jesus commends over and over and over again is faith. What would it take for you today to have faith in the third person of the Trinity and to invite him and his work into your life and to separate him, the person, from what you might think of as the excesses of others? Again, quoting Peterson, Peterson says that what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to conceive the life of Jesus in us in very much the same way he conceived the life of Jesus in Mary. And Mary, confused, like we might be confused about Pentecostal or charismatic excesses, if if that's the way you view this, Mary said yes. And being filled with the Spirit is very much like being pregnant. It's not mostly an idea. It's something that you know by experience. And in this case, that we would desire the spirit to come and to animate and energize and empower our lives. In Luke 11, Jesus put it this way. You know, after that uh, teaching about ask and seek and knock as you're praying, Jesus said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is saying, take, receive. Our posture in this this morning then is to ask, to say yes, to try, to cooperate with the Spirit, to believe, to start, to persevere, again, to ask. And just begin to recognize the Holy Spirit's activity around you. And welcome him and embrace his life and his leadership. Like Mary, say yes this morning to the Holy Spirit. Amen.